The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Won't you please take your seats? Is it really worth it? I'm not going to make you wait today. Is it really worth it? I wonder how often you find yourself asking that question or some derivative of it. Is this worth my time? Is this conversation worth having? Is this membership worth taking out? Is this phone call worth answering? Is this product worth buying? Are these calories worth eating? Is this exercise worth doing? Is this job worth having? Is this relationship worth putting in emotional time and energy? We're probably bound to ask ourselves some form of that question multiple times a week, if not multiple times per day. And now we come to Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will show you. I don't know if Abraham really heard that part after the burnt offering. Abraham has to be left asking the question, is the life of faith in the God of promise really worth it? Now, just to be clear, this passage is not primarily about Abraham or about you and I, but about God himself. And it is a hard passage to read. One commentator describes it in this way, no other story in Genesis, indeed in the whole Old Testament, can match the sacrifice of Isaac for its haunting beauty or its theological depth. After all, what sort of God asks a 100-year-old man who has a miracle child to sacrifice that child? What sort of God makes a promise and then says, now kill the one through whom I have said the promise will be fulfilled? Genesis 22 raises big questions. Is God good? Is God capricious like all the other gods? 
Do I have to twist God's arm to get something good out of him? Can God be trusted? And when we read verse 8, which I think really is the key verse to this section, God will provide for himself a sacrifice for a burnt offering, we are left wondering, is Abraham hoping against hope? Or is there something else going on? Has he learned what it means to trust God and to rest on his grace? Uh, Now let's just take a moment and be clear, absolutely clear on the events as they unfold. Uh, Some time later, God comes again to Abraham. We've spent at least uh, 25 years from promise to Isaac being born, and now a couple more years because Isaac's not a baby. He's of an age where he's able to carry a reasonable load of wood on his back for his 100-year-old father. And just like in the beginning God came in his word, God now comes again in his word, this time not with a word of encouragement or with a word of promise or with a word of blessing or with a word of rebuke, but with a word of command. The command is clear and explicit. Each word is emphasized and builds on the previous words. Take your son, your only son, whom you love and offer him as a burnt offering. Each word must have come with great pain. Undoubtedly, Abraham privately went over these things time and time again in his mind. On the one hand, God's word of promise to Abraham was absolutely clear. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. On the other hand, the word of command was equally clear. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Both were God's words, and although seemingly contradictory, Abraham apparently resolved to live with the contradiction. We know what Abraham did not that God was testing him. God didn't come and say, hey, Abraham, I'm testing you, and now here's the story. We get that verse one. That's for us, but it wasn't for him. This was his real life. This was his real moment. This will reveal Abraham's heart. Does he trust God only because it pays him to do so? Or is there something else? Abraham gathers what he needs for the trip and they set out for the place of God's choosing, uh, which is about 70 kilometers. Uh, Sorry, that's about 44 miles. All right, just still working here. 44 miles, they've got to travel to get to this place. Three days takes them and Abraham looks up and he sees the mountain and he turns to the servants and says to them, you stay behind, I and the boy will go ahead and we will worship and then we will return. Uh, The Hebrew there is literally in the plural. It's we will go and worship and we will return. The boy and I, we will come back. Now at one level, the words Abraham says to his servants are a lie. After all, if he keeps God's word, there will be no return for Isaac. Perhaps these words are just an indication that on some level Abraham holds out hope. And such hope wouldn't be surprising since everything that God has done and demonstrated in Abraham's life is that God always keeps his word. His word was clear that it would be through Isaac that Abraham's descendants would come. 
So Abraham takes the wood, loads it onto his son, grabs the knife that he uses to slit the throats of animals and carve them up. And together he and his son walk up the hill, the executioner and the victim. It seems that Abraham couldn't speak along the way. They walk in silence until eventually the boy breaks the silence. My father, and Abraham said, here I am, verse 7. Boy says, behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they continue together. Abraham knows what he has to do when he gets to the top of the mountain. However, there are signs that he is a a little bit confused. Uh, Even as he goes about doing this, you can just imagine what's going on inside of him. There's, There's ambiguity that comes out in his response. God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. There's this constant repetition 10 times in this passage. The son, the son, the son. He's building and building. It's the son. In actual fact, when he leaves... The servants on the side of the road, as it were. Uh, Abraham can't even bring himself to say the son. He just says, the boy. The boy and I will go. That's all that Abraham can muster. And finally, they arrive at their destination. And Abraham quietly gathers the rocks for the altar. He unloads the wood. He places it on the altar like he'd done many times in the past. And then comes the moment for Isaac. And as readers, we can only imagine the confusion the trust in the son's eyes as he submits to being bound with the rope, the fear in his eyes as he sees the knife being raised and understands what's happening. Uh, When they come to the place, verse 10, Abraham reaches out his hand and takes the knife to slaughter his son. And then from heaven comes a voice, Abraham, Abraham. And once again, he replies, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifts his eyes. He looks around. The sacrifice still has to take place. And he sees a large ram uh, caught in the thicket. He goes, he brings him, he slaughters him. They burn him. The smoke rises. They worship. And in his joy... Abraham names this place, the Lord will provide. I don't know if you ever sang that catchy little tune, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Did that make it here? Maybe it was a South African thing. That's where it comes from. Here, this is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. But after we run through all of that, we're still left asking this question, is God good? Can God be trusted? A couple of things. Number one. Yes, he can, because God has always proven himself to be trustworthy. When Abraham says in verse 8, God will provide, we need to understand that Abraham had never known God to fail. Abraham may have been up and down in his faith throughout the last 10 chapters and the last 30-something years, but God was constant and consistent and reliable and dependable. If this had been the the first time uh, that God had spoken to Abraham, the result might have been rather different. But this is 10 chapters worth of of Abraham learning that God always does what he says, even the impossible. 
Abraham, this is what I'm going to do, and it happens time and time again. You are going to have a son, even though you are old and your wife is barren. Everything that God says he will do, he does the possible and the impossible. And if he says he'll do it, it is done without exception. On the basis of his track record, Abraham can trust God. On the basis of his track record, you can trust God. Because God is always trustworthy in all of life's situations. If that's the first thing that we learn from this, the second thing that we learn is that God is able. So God has proven himself trustworthy, but secondly, God is able. Abraham reasoned that God was able. Abraham was willing to offer Isaac because he considered that God was able to raise the dead. Now you might look at Genesis 22 and say, Jason, where did you get that from? But what we have to understand is that three or four times the New Testament references Genesis 22. And one of those times is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, where we read that it was by faith that when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your, shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from. Everything that God has said is true. Abraham reasoned. Here's his logic. So if he wants to kill the person through whom he has told me the promises will be fulfilled, well then I suppose that the person that I'm going to kill is going to come back from the dead in order for God to keep his word. Abraham has worked out that God will even do impossible things to keep his promise. He has seen him do that before, and he reasons that he will do it again, maybe even with resurrection. Now that ought to be a great comfort to us. Because we have seen many examples of God raising people from the dead. Some of Jesus' miracles, others in the Old Testament with Elijah, Jesus' own resurrection, and so we too can trust God, even if it is a life or death test. Abraham had some self-awareness of this, I think, when he told the servants that the boy and himself would return. He may not have known the details, but he trusted God. Where is the sacrifice, the boy asks. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. We too can trust God in any test, having seen God's track record. The question remains though, will we trust God in every test that comes our way in this life? Abraham had come to learn to trust and to live by the reality that God will never break his promise. Will we learn to do the same? It is interesting that in Romans chapter 4, uh, we read that uh, of Abraham, that it was in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That is a God that I want to put my faith and trust in. That is a God who I can put my faith and trust in. That is a God who will never let me down. Thirdly, we read that God provides a substitute. This is, these are all answers to why we can trust God, why we know that God is good. God provides a substitute. Uh, the ram instead of Isaac. 
Uh, God provides for the sacrifice. Uh, Abraham says that God will actually provide a lamb, except that it wasn't a lamb that day, but a ram. Uh, it's a picture of what the Lord Jesus does for us. I, I don't think there's any irony in that Abraham says that it will be a lamb. It's a ram that gets provided, and the lamb doesn't appear that day. But a few thousand years later, a lamb does appear. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here is a picture of what the Lord Jesus does for us. We are about to die in our trespasses and our sins. In the wages of our sins that, are, that is death. And God sends his son as a substitute, a lamb to be the sacrifice instead of us. Now, I'm mindful that there will be a range of folk here this morning, uh, ranging from uh, the gullible to the cynical. Uh, the gullible who like to find a word in the Bible and then find where that word is used everywhere else in the Bible and then make all kinds of connections. The cynical who see a word in the Bible and say, oh, that has nothing to do with anything else in the Bible. It is just that word here. I'm going to try and meet us somewhere in the middle uh, because I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see the type that is taking place here. Uh, take your son, your only son. Uh, the New Testament talks about Jesus as God's son. Romans 8 talks about how God did not spare his son. Uh, the place where they go to is the land of Moriah and Mount Moriah. And in 2 Chronicles, we discover that Moriah is the place that becomes known as Jerusalem, the place where the temple was built, where the sacrifices were offered, and where Jesus was ultimately put to death. We have this reading in John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God can be trusted. When it comes to the judgment, he will substitute his own son. Here you have Isaac and the ram that takes his place. Later, we have Jesus, who is the Son of God, but also the Lamb of God. Yes, you can trust God. Fourthly, uh, we discover Abraham's uh, genuine faith was seen clearly in his absolute obedience. Genuine faith always works itself out in active obedience. While Abraham's faith is reckoned to him as righteousness, it is his obedience that is the clear demonstration that that faith is real and living and active. It is his obedience that shows that what is going on in his heart is true faith in God, that he loves God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength, that it was not too much to even give up this miracle son Isaac if that was what God had called him to do. Now, just as an aside, because there are some of you in this room that are worrying about this, uh, the Bible never condones child sacrifice. God does not ever call his people to do that. In the Bible, it is only ever practiced by pagans. Uh, but God was putting Abraham to the test. He was testing his mettle. He was stress testing him. He was putting him under so much pressure to see what is it that would come out of him and what came out of him was his faith working itself out in his obedience. Now, just so you know that I'm not making this up from somewhere, James chapter 2 makes this point. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 
you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Where Adam failed because Adam would not obey God's word as he trusted God's word, Abraham succeeded. Abraham categorically demonstrated that he had put his full trust and reliance and dependence upon God and his word. And he showed that love for God in the way that he chose to live his life. This is what God is doing to Abraham here. This is what is taking place. And so it, we, it, it, it does beg the question, when God tests us, what comes out of us? The Bible talks about it. I'm just using this as one very, very simplistic application. And you will need to think about how you drive this deep into your own hearts. The Bible talks about not letting any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And so when you find yourself in a pressure situation and you get squeezed, maybe you're driving on the 440 or maybe you're at work or maybe you're in line somewhere and you get squeezed and the pressure comes in, what comes out of your mouth? And when you argue with your spouse, what comes out of your mouth? When your children frustrate you, what comes out of your mouth? When you, when you are put to the test, what comes out of your mouth? Faith without works is dead. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. One last word of promise. Fifthly, the fifth thing that I think we take out of this if you're taking notes. One last word of promise. At some point in all of this, Abraham hears the voice of God again in verses 15 to 19. Uh, these are the last words that we know that Abraham hears God speak. I want to read them to us just so that they're on our minds again. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is the only place a divine oath occurs in the patriarchal narratives. It's emphasized with the words, by myself. It is one of only two places in the whole Pentateuch that the phrase, declares the Lord, occurs. And the phrase that's translated surely bless is used only here in Genesis. And the Hebrew meaning is more emphatic and serves to heighten the promise that's being made. It's the first time that Abraham's descendants have been compared to the sands of the seashore. This is the first time that Abraham has been promised that his descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. It is the first time God has promised that not only Abraham, but also his descendants will be a source of blessing for the entire world. So why is this here? Well, you've got to jump over to the New Testament in Hebrews 6. In Hebrews 6, 
we read that when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Is it worth it? Is God good? Can I trust him? This story was not here just for Abraham, but for us also, so that we who have fled for refuge to the God who provides and saves might this morning have a strong encouragement to hold fast to this hope that has been set before us, that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone before you as a forerunner on your behalf. And so I hope and pray for you this morning that as you walk out these doors and as you walk out into the world and as you find yourself asking the question, is it worth it? Is God good? Can I trust him? That you will be deeply encouraged to hold fast to the hope that has been set before you because God has sworn it by himself because there is no one greater than God by whom it can be sworn. God has promised and he will do it. Now, usually at the end of a sermon, I would say, now let's pray, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna ask you to just take a few moments and quietly in your own heart, Respond to God's word today. Just give you a few moments to bow your heads and then I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do next. But why don't you take some time and respond to God now in the quiet of this place. Amen. And now I'm going to carry on mixing things up because instead of going straight into the affirmation of our faith and the creed, we're going to go into a song. The chorus reads or sings, the Lamb of God in my place, your blood poured out my sin erased. It was my death you died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. As you think about Isaac and as you think about Jesus, let's put these words on our lips and sing in praise and thankfulness to God that he sent his son, our sacrificial lamb, and our substitute. Let's stand and let's sing together. Mm -hmm. 